Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Two weeks ago, we started a series called A Beautiful Mess, because I love that statement. A beautiful mess encapsulates a lot of what life is, right? There are things about your life that are beautiful and things about your life that are messy. Let me tell you about my family, right? We had this beautiful family picture session done. Got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. And it's easy to see this and be like, man, but do y'all know the hell? For those of you who have children's, have children, do y'all know the pain, Austin, do you know my pain, brother? The pain and the agony of trying to get all your kids to look at the camera at the same time, to get into place at the same time. I got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old, and y'all were like, that's so beautiful. Y'all don't know the mess that went into trying to get this picture taken. Like, okay, I'll take you to Disney World. I'll do anything. Just look at the camera. We're paying $300 for the love of God, right? It's like, come on now. Right? Here's the thing, though. That is a beautiful mess. Your life is a beautiful mess. The way that God works many times is like a beautiful mess. There was this particular story in the Bible where somebody came up to Jesus, and he, and he was blind. And Jesus, instead of doing the hand thing and putting his hand on the guy and healing him, Scripture says he spit in the mud, made mud, made and, you know, and basically made a mud pie and took it and put it on the guy's eyes and told him to go and wash up. And the way this guy became healed was through a messy situation. For that person, the way that God worked was like a beautiful mess. We can see the way that God typically works in our lives is like a beautiful mess. Here's the, here's the thing. If life is a beautiful mess, you are a beautiful mess. The way that God works is like a beautiful mess. Why are we surprised when God's church is also a beautiful mess? And that's what this whole series is based on, is how God's church is beautifully messy. And how as people, I think sometimes we're shocked at how beautifully messy the church is. Because honestly, I think sometimes we focus too much on the mess. And some of you, you, y'all have been church hurt. You've been in crazy churches and they've done stupid things and said stupid things. So in your mind, heart, and soul, you see the church as being more mess than beautiful. Now, some of you, you've been a part of great churches and you see that, you know what, church can, can, can do beautiful stuff. But at the same time, you probably also know the church is full of beauty and mess. And what hopefully this series is going to do is to equip you to see the church as a beautiful mess, but a chosen beautiful mess that God has used to be his hands and his feet and his representation to the world. Last week, I talked on how God is committed to his church in the same way a husband and wife, they join together. God is committed to his church. Today, I want to talk, talk to you, though, about how the church is Jesus's body. Jesus' body. Have you ever wondered, like I have many times, why didn't Jesus just stay on the earth? Like, you know, if I was Jesus and, and I was like, yo, I want people to believe me. 
Like, I want people to, like, know who I am. If I was Jesus, I'd have been like, I ain't going back to heaven. I'm going to stay right here, and I'm going to control my message, right? Like, I don't want no one else taking, you know, taking what I've done and kind of, as I know, like, have you ever wondered why Jesus left? No one. Okay, this is going to be a great message. No one. I'm glad y'all were engaging, right? No one's ever wondered that. Well, I have, because I'm like, honestly, like if Jesus really wanted this beautiful message to spread, why didn't he just stay on earth and Twitter it or Facebook live it or YouTube live it? Like, why did he decide, I'm going to come to earth, live for three, li- li- do three years of public ministry, train up 12 disciples, and through that 12, see the world impacted and changed to where now there's over 2 billion people that are followers of Jesus Christ? Why would he do that? Because honestly, I think Jesus believed he could do more through us, the church, his body, than just through himself. What an incredible entrustment that we have been given as the church, that we are called, what, what the Bible calls us, is we are called the, the body of Christ. And that's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a body to show himself through, because he has chosen to show who he is and what he's like through people. Let me tell you, Ronald, Roheiser says, says this here, a theologian. He says, a theist, and if, and if you don't know what a theist is, it's someone, it's someone that believes in something beyond us, but that something is not personal. Okay, it says, a theist is somebody that believes in a God in heaven, whereas a Christian believes in a God in heaven who is also physically present on this earth inside of human beings. God is still present, as physical and as real today as God was in the historical Jesus. God still has skin, human skin, and physically walks on this earth just as Jesus did. To pray, God, please help my neighbor cope with her financial problems. Or God, do something about the homeless, the homeless downtown is the approach of a theist and not a Christian. God has chosen to express love and grace in the world through those of us who embody Christ. God has chosen to show himself who he is and what he is like through a chosen people called the church, also known as his body. And Jesus is looking to find a people that will represent him and and literally be the representation of a God and a Jesus that cannot be seen. What an honor but what of calling, but how challenging it is for us. Because I don't know if you've seen this, the church can be a tad bit divided. Anyone else seen that here? A tad bit divided over stuff. Where the church is not synergized, we are divided. And this isn't shocking, but when, whenever Paul, the Apostle Paul, he planted churches back when he got saved about 30 or 40 years after Christ resurrected, Paul, the apostle who killed Christians, became a Christian and started 
to plant churches. He would go into different cities and preach the gospel. People would get saved, and he would start a church in that city. And that's where we get most of the New Testament letters that, that we see here. And Paul did this in the city of Corinth. Corinth was an insanely godless city. It was a city that was full of, of just insane sexuality, insane greed, insane gluttony. And I mean, I, I'm glad things have changed, right? Um, but, all, but, but the thing is also, too, though, it was a city that had extreme classism, where now you've got all of these different people becoming Christ followers. You have slaves becoming Christ followers, lawyers becoming Christ followers, government workers becoming Christ followers. You have people of, of, of different racial and ethnic backgrounds becoming Christians. You had people that, that believed different things about spirituality coming, and they all started to follow Christ. And not shockingly, what you find in the city of Corinth, even in the church, there was a lot of division. Again, I'm glad things have changed. Where Paul, he has to be like, yo, I got to help these people understand who we are in Christ. And even though we've got these so-called divisions We've got to see, like, we got to, like, the church has got to clearly see who we are. And that's why Paul writes the first, the, the first letter to Corinth, and he starts to talk on, in chapter 12, verse, verse number 12 through, through 27, he starts to explain to this church that is divided what it means to be the body of Christ. And I believe if there is any message that we need now in the church, it is a message of unity. Because we are so divided. That's why we've got denominations. Because Christians can't even agree on theology. That's why we've got some people that say, I don't even want to be a part of the church. Because when I've been in the church, I experience more craziness in the church than I did if I was outside the church. It's like, y'all, we have got to see, and, and what I hope Paul, Paul shows us today, and what I hope you get, is you see the power, or the power that can be, of a church that is synergized instead of divided. We're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27. This is 15 verses. So everyone, don't fall asleep on me. Hopefully you've gotten your coffee in. You've got your caffeine boost, all right? I want you just, just, here's the thing. This is your Bible reading for this coming week, all right? You get this in, dwell on it, think, think on it, okay? This is Paul addressing unity and diversity in the church. We need to hear it. We need to hear this, amen? Okay, no one. Okay, awesome, man. Are you guys live today? I preach better if, if you shout at me or tell me something or you say something like preach a white boy or you, you give me a little something, you know? You give me a little sum, all right? Let's try it. God is good. Preach a white boy. Oh, my. It's got such church people up, up in here all the time. No, it's like, if I say something, you're supposed to say, preach a white boy, okay? Like, God is good. Come on now. Okay, all right. Let's, let's go. All right, here, here we go. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this. Just as a body, the one has many parts, 
but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, well, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division. Everyone say no division. No division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, everyone say me. Now me, you, whatever, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So what I want you to get today, you're part of the body. If you are a Christ follower, if Jesus is your Lord, you are a part of the body of Christ. And, and the challenge today is to see you, to get you to take your spot in place, whatever that is. You know, here's so much we could pull, pull out here, but here's the thing. I want to pull out a couple different points that Paul brings up when he's talking about unity and diversity in the church. One of the, one of the things he says, it is not Jew. This is what he says here. For we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all one. He goes directly after ethnic back backgrounds and social statuses. Basically saying, when you become a part of the body of Christ, what you thought of being as a primary distinction of you becomes secondary. Whereas our world tends to classify you as being rich, as being poor, as being black, as being white, as being young, as being old, as being Democrat or Republican. All right, I got y'all's attention now. Right? We can, we can, what, what brings division in the church is when we take secondary things and make them primary. Without seeing as Christ, as Christ's followers, when we start to follow him, we become one with Christ and one with each other to where those things that once separated us now become secondary. And the thing is, is Jesus unites us. Instead of focusing on what divides us, we now focus on what we have in common, and that is, is this. We are all equal before the cross of Jesus Christ. Before the cross, it doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're young, if you're old, if you're libertarian, if you're Democrat, if you're Republican. Before the cross, before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only distinction as the body of Christ we have, the thing that makes us unique and unites us, is Jesus. 
And what has killed, killed the unity in the church is when we take a secondary issue and make it primary. I've heard people, I mean, can I be real? Okay. Um, I'm just really scared for the church with this whole 2020 election coming up. Because I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard how you can't be a Christian to be a Republican. You can't be a Christian to be a Democrat. Like, I have heard this stuff from, from, from Christians that I respect. And I'm just like, like, you're taking a whole group of people and labeling every Democrat, they can't be Christians, or Republicans, they can't be Christians. Like, whatever political affiliate, they can't be Christians. Like, who are you? Right? So, so, so and, 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 and what does that do? It comes into the church, and it brings division. And, and now we don't start labeling people or seeing people first as a brother or sister in Christ. We now start to see them as, well, they're rich. They're poor. They're black. They're white. They're Blasian. Whatever. Right? What makes the church u- unique is we have unity but not uniformity. There's a huge difference where we have unity because we're united by Jesus Christ and before the King of Kings, we are all the same. You can't go to God and be like, well, I'm powerful because I'm whatever. No, all that crap goes to secondary because when you stand before him, you are part of the body of Christ, and you are one, and Jesus is what, Jesus is what unites us. Unity doesn't mean un- uniformity. How in the heck do we have in a time like this where there's so much div- division, so much disunity, how can we have unity in the church but not uniformity? First off, we gotta realize what brings us together, like I said, Jesus. Secondly, you have to seek to understand instead of just being understood, which means you gotta shut your mouth and listen. There are people here that believe different things ab- uh, about national policies. There are people here that are on total opposite sides of the political equation. There are people here that have strong beliefs about different secondary Christian theology, right? And, and, and here's the thing, right? If there is ever going to be unity, you can't just stand on your side and throw rocks and bombs at people that you haven't actually had a conversation with face-to-face, to then, here's the most important phrase you could probably ever learn. M- marriages, let me help, help you today. Help me understand. Right? If you believe strongly about, uh, about something, that there could be a brother or sister in Christ that believes differently than you, instead of throwing and, l- and, l- um, and labeling and clumping people in, in, into a certain label, you then say, Hey, can we talk and chat, and can you help me understand? Why? Because if you just seek to be understood instead of trying to actually understand, you don't have relationship. And here's the thing. Problems are easier when you don't have relationship. Well, we should just, we should just, we should just, we should just, and you start to solve the world's problems, but you don't actually talk to anybody on the other side of that problem. So we seek to understand instead of just to be under 
understood, and we stop making people an issue to be solved, and we start to see them as people to be loved. We also just have to understand, we're in a church, so like some of you come from different theological back, backgrounds. So like, here's the thing, right? We, we are a church here, and we believe the Holy Spirit can do anything. We believe the Holy Spirit can heal. We believe people can speak in tongues. We believe people can interpret them. Like we believe in the full gifts of the Holy Spirit here. Like that is what our, theolo- our theological belief is. But at the same time, we understand that there might be some people here, you might not believe that. And you know what? You're, you're welcome here. We're not going to let a secondary issue divide us. Do we love Jesus? Yep. Jesus saves? Yep. The Bible's God's word? Yep. Like, we, we can't let secondary things keep us from the primary thing that Jesus saves. Right? We say it, it this way here. There are closed-handed issues and open-handed issues. There are closed-handed issues, meaning there's a set line of doctrine and beliefs that make us Christian. The churches across all the denominational lines believe in, right? One of those is we, we believe that it is Jesus' work and not your work that saves you. That better, be, that better be the Lord talking. Just kidding. No, look, look though, we believe that it is Jesus' work and not your work that ultimately saves you. In other words, this, Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. He went to the cross and died the death that you should have died in your place and for your sin. And you could not earn your relationship with God or earn your salvation. It is only something that Jesus could do because Jesus was the only perfect person. He went and paid the price you should have paid on the, on the cross. But from there, he resurrected because... Be, be, because he never sinned, and it is sin what ultimately brings death. And now Jesus, since, since Jesus defeated death and now has eternal life, he can now give you that, that eternal life because he earned it. So now you receive the benefit of what Jesus' work was. We call that justification, meaning you submit your life to him, and it's Jesus' work that ultimately saves you and makes you right before God. It is not your work, it's his work, and it is a gift of salvation to you. That's a closed-handed issue to us. You can't earn it. Also, we believe this is God's inspired book. We believe that God chose to reveal himself through imperfect people to write perfect words to us as a form of revelation of showing us who God is and what God's like. We believe Jesus, he resurrected. That is a a closed-handed issue issue for us. Jesus rose and defeated death. He, he rose and has eternal life for those that put their trust and faith in him. We have closed-handed issues, but you know what? Here, we also have open-handed issues that Christians can discuss and debate, but it should not divide us. I've been to Bible college, so we always had stupid debates. Like, you know, we would always be talking about stuff that most people don't care about at, at all. Are you a Calvinist or are you are Minion. And for those of you who are like, what's well, a Calvinist and then an then Arminian? That's a good thing, okay? Don't go Google that, all right? Because it'll be a rabbit hole of craziness, all right? But, but it's like ultimately the bottom line with both of those belief systems is that God ultimately saves. Whether, what, whether, whether God does it all or we play a part in it, the bottom line is God saves, so why are we fighting about it? Right? The, there, there are certain things that we can discuss and debate, but they should not divide us because the church has been divided for way too long. Here's, here's what we got to do. We've got to celebrate people's differences. The body of Christ is larger than you think it is. 
And it's, that's why it cracks me up. People like, you know, y'all seen Kanye West? Okay? You know what I'm saying? Like Kanye West has had a drastic turnaround. And y'all, it is, it is making the Christian world like go crazy. Because now you got people saying, yeah, well, is this legit? Is this legit? And I'm like, are you legit? Like who? Like why are you critiquing what you should be celebrating? Why are you critiquing a guy that God is changing his life and you're over here critiquing it like you're some Pharisee? Saying, is it legit? Are you legit? How do you know you're going to last? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like y'all, we, we've got to stop critiquing things in the body of Christ and start celebrating the fact of Kanye is going into prisons now and spreading the gospel. There was videos of him, I mean, going into prisons. You, you got prisons full of dudes behind bars for life, lifting hands, submitting their lives on their knees to following Christ. And, I, and here's the thing. I just encourage you. I pray that we are a church that celebrates instead of always critiques. It doesn't mean we throw our brains in the, in the back and don't think about and ask for discernment. But at the same time, I want us to always take a step forward and say, what can we celebrate? I, I pray we have a church. I pray that our church is one where we have black people, white people, Blasian people, Asian people, like, like in, in the rich, young, old, poor, Literally, people walk in here and they're like, what the heck? How, how is this place so diverse yet so unified? Like you've got Democrats and Republicans worshiping together, hanging out together, listening to each other, saying, how can I pray for you? Where literally people walk in here and they're just like, what? This is amazing. I'm like, yeah, because we have Jesus unifying us. He's our common ground. And all he's our primary. Everything else becomes secondary. What we see Paul here, starting in verse number 15 and going through 26, he makes this point. He's trying to tell this, this church, like, you are needed. You know, he said, if you got to, Who's the foot to kind of tell the hand, I don't need you? And what Paul's saying here is to us, to us personally, individually, corporately, that you are needed. The body of Christ needs you. Like, do you understand? Your part is needed to help show the world who God is and what God's like. Like, do you know how needed you are? And some of you are like, nah, John, that's why we pay you. Y'all like, nah, John, that's, that, that's why we give 20 bucks every single week. So you can, you can do your thing. That's why, that's why you're the pastor. Let me tell you what has significantly hindered and killed people taking their place in the body of Christ is the advent of the professional, past, of the professional past, pastor. And I say this lovingly. 
but I think the church has pretty much said, yep, we're the spect- we're, we are the spectators. Leaders, pastors, you, you, you go do it. When Jesus needs you to play your part, do you know what I am doing with this whole part of preaching and teaching and stuff? You know, I'm just doing my small little part, y'all. I'm not called to do everything. Leaders in this church aren't called to do everything. We are called to equip you to take your stance, to take your place, to take your part in God's body. Because honestly, unfortunately, I think the church has become a spectator sport where it's honestly, we can view it as just something we go to on Sunday just, just to spend one hour. Sorry, I preach long, so it's more like an hour and a half. But at the same time, we can see it as being we go to be entertained instead of we come to be equipped to play our part in being the body of Christ. And I hope that you know and you see you are so needed. And let me tell you why. I, I am not special, y'all. Like, do you know you have the same access to God that I do? There is nothing unique about me that sets me as a point of God hears me more clear than you. God does not love me more than he loves you. God does not give me an extra star on my chart that I'm better. Because of what Jesus did, Jesus did, Jesus help me. Because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus did, he said it so all of us have the same access to God. That if you need prayer, you got the same access that I do. That if you need wisdom and you need to ask God, you got the same access that I do. And I say that to say, to say this. I'm, not, I'm just playing my little part. But honestly, if we all got little parts compared to the big part of being Christ's body, but are we playing that part? Are people stepping in and saying, I'm not here just to be entertained. I want to be empowered. Let me tell you what my job description is. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It gives the job description for, for leaders in the church. This is what it says here. It says, so Christ gave himself the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip. Everyone say equip. Equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. Everyone say unity. In the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everyone say mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blow here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me tell you from this portion of scripture here, let me tell you the, what my job is as, as, the, as, as the pastor of this church. First off, equip you. Set an environment where you can be equipped to fulfill your part in the body of Christ. Equip you. Secondly, mature you. Create an environment where you 
where you grow up in your faith. Unfortunately, we have, so, we, we have so many Christians that have been saved for years that are still like babies in their faith. And it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's time to, where you, where, here's the thing, you be empowered to pick up a fork and start being able to feed yourselves, right? And here's the thing, I understand this takes, this could take years, y'all. I'm not saying condemning y'all. I'm not saying y'all should be eating by now. Like, honestly, some of y'all, like y'all, are brand new, and that's why we are here. Why? Because we want to get you fed, get you nurtured, get you grown up. But honestly, our job is to see you mature and to create atmospheres and experiences and pathways so you can grow up in your faith. Thirdly, though, unify us around a common vision. Because how many of you know, like I said, there can be divisions in the church, and there can be factions developed. And you can have people wanting to do their own thing. But it's like, look, we are called to be on purpose and for purpose and unified so we can all be going the same way, synergized, and going towards the vision that God has put on the heart of this house. The truth is that you are, you are part of the church, and you are part of a church. This is the best church that I've ever been a part of. And you're like, well, yeah, duh, John. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. I've worked for some Churches that I, would have never inv- that I would have never invited people to. And that sounds mean. And that sounds wrong. But I'm just being real. And I love what God is doing in this place. I love what God has started here. We're only two years old, y'all. Two. Uh, we don't know what we're doing yet. Uh, we're still trying to figure things out, right? Like, like, like we're still trying to figure this whole thing out. But the thing is, is, you are part of the church globally, we are, but also you are part of a church. And with our church, we do not have formal membership. I've, I've, I've had so many people ask me, like, how do I become a member? We don't have membership. We don't have formal membership. Like, we don't have a thing where you can, like, why? Because, well, here's the thing, right? Our, our perspective is this here. One life has 10,000 members, One Life Fitness. Do you know how One Life survives? 10,000 people don't show up. They survive because people call themselves members but don't do anything. Member in our culture can be a, a word also that kind, of, that kind of establishes entitlement. And here's, here's the thing, right? What we actually monitor here is engagement and activity. We're not into titles. We are into who's going to take their place and do something. Who's going to show some tenacity and want to grow? But the, but the bottom line is this here. We don't have formal membership here, but here's the thing. We, we want each person here to take a next step, a next step. We are a next steps church. Meaning we understand there was a journey and process to people understanding and fully engaging and understanding what this walk with Christ is. And here's the thing, the overarching vision of our church is to help all people. Everyone say all. all. Look around this room. I can see all here. All. Colors, backgrounds, you name it, it's here. This isn't even including the first service. All. There, there is all here. So we've set a broad vision. Why? Because everyone needs Jesus, y'all. We don't believe it's just for a certain 
color or social status or like we, we believe everyone needs it. So we've casted a broad net and we've got a broad net and we're happy for that. But the bottom, we want all people to experience life change through, through Christ. But the that we know that term life change can be, what does life change mean? When you say you want all people to experience life change through Christ, like what is, what is life change? So we have given it four different steps that we want to see all people take that are a part of, of our church, part of our body here. That we want to see all people do. The first one is this, follow Jesus. Like to be a part of this body here, we want to encourage everyone to, to like start to follow Jesus. Start the journey. Start the process. Say yes to following Jesus. Like we want people to understand truly what Jesus did for them. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what? Life. Right? And Jesus was not being narcissistic whenever he said that. He was saying, no one will do for you what I have done for you. No one loves you the way that I love the way that the way that I love you. Give your life to me because I gave my life for you. We want people to know, that, to know that Jesus loves them, He cares for them, and to submit their lives and to follow Him. And do you know what? That starts by simply saying yes to Him. Just, just, just by saying like start the journey. And we give people a starting point. And, and we say, look, just, just start the journey. You can't clean a fish unless it's caught. You can't grow a baby unless it's born. You, you can't see something grow unless it's planted. We, we want people to start and just start to follow Jesus. Secondly, though, we want them to do, like, here's the thing, we want, we want people to do life together. We want you to follow Jesus, and then secondly, do life together with somebody. Get in relationship. I know it's hard to build relationships at church because all of us are weird. We're all awkward. We tend to gravitate towards a certain kind of person, towards a certain personality. And if you know, here's the thing: if you join a group, you're kind of like, well, I don't know if I fit in this group. And it, 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 here's the thing: it's, it can be odd and hard and long and tedious trying to do life together with people in the church. It takes, it can take a while. But I don't want you to give up on that journey. Find people to do life with. Why? Because Jesus never meant for you to do this thing alone. And you got so many people that just come in on Sundays, leave out the door, and don't get engaged and do life together with, with anybody. There's a reason why Jesus had 12 disciples and they did life together. Sundays are great. Rows are great. But circles are even better. Finding a place and finding a tribe and finding a people to do life together. Someone that knows your name, that knows your story, knows what you need, that can pray for you and help you and give you advice. Not only do we, do we want people to follow Jesus and do, and do life together, we also want people to get in the game, man. Don't be, a, don't be a spectator. Find a team. Find a dream team. Find something and get engaged. No matter where you're at in your faith journey, there's something for you here. You might say, I'm not, you know what? I'm not even a Christian yet. Well, do you know what? We've got a spot for you on our dream team. It's not going to be in kids ministry, but I promise you, we've got something for you. Right? The bottom line is we, we know that some of you here, you need to belong before you believe. Because you've been told and shown things and had this picture painted in your mind of what the church is and how the church operates, and you've been wounded, scarred, and jaded. And you just need to be around the church to see if we're going to smoke what we're selling. We're not really smoking anything, so we're not selling nothing. I forgot that we're on Facebook Live. We're not smoking. We're not selling, okay? Uh, but 
but essentially saying, are we going to be a church that does what we say? And we welcome that, right? Fourthly, though, follow Jesus. Do life together. Get in the game. And fourthly, make a difference. And this is the switch where we hope everyone gets to, where you see your time, your talent, everything that God has given you isn't about you. God has given it to you to show him and give him glory. Where, where the whole purpose of your life changes and switches to now instead of it being about you, it's about him. And this is the one, this is the step that we get excited about because I've seen people here at this church follow these steps and they are at this point of making a difference. Someone here, today's his birthday, Robert Rakowskis. Is Robert in the building? Is he here? No, he's he's probably working, right? But let me tell you, Robert, Robert is the perfect example. And we've shared his story many times of someone that came into this place broken, hurting. I remember the day, after the first Sunday he came, he sent me this long confessional confessional email (laughs) saying like every sin he had ever committed. I think because he was just scared. Are they gonna accept me here? Are they gonna love me here? Are they gonna think I'm crazy here? Are they gonna, you know, and, you know, yesterday being able to be out with him and probably 25 of his closest church friends to be able to celebrate him and honor him and speak life into him and thank God for him. And it's amazing because he's done these steps. He followed Jesus, he does life together, he's gotten in the game and y'all, he is making a life eternity altering difference for the church of Jesus Christ by playing his part in the body. Jesus needs a body, y'all. Jesus is not here. Jesus is gone. He has entrusted his church to be his representation, his hands, his feet. And Lifehouse is a part of the church, but we are also a church. And God has given us the responsibility in this city of Newport News, in the 757, on the peninsula, whatever you say, to he has given us the responsibility to be his response, his hands, his feet to a lost and dying world that needs to know Jesus loves them. This one movie, it's called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. This is uh, something that came back, that, that came out in 2006. And this is a story about a French guy named Jean-Dominique Bobby. Interesting name, but that sounds French to me. Anyway, though, he was the editor-in-chief of the French fashion Bible, Elle magazine who at 43 years old had a devastating, life-altering stroke that damaged his brainstem and developed something called locked-in syndrome, where basically your body locks up and you can move nothing, except there was one part of Jean's body that could actually still function, and that was his right eye one part, all he could do is blink out of his right eye. But before all this went down, John had this goal to write this book about his life. And of course, when that happened, you know, it's like, okay, man, that dream is, is dead. 
But John's caretaker developed with him a communication mechanism through his blinking that he could communicate what, what letters he wanted to say. And so, and, and so his caretaker and him arduously and over the span of three years, through him blinking and him communicating the, the specific letters he wanted to say through blinking, ended up writing a book about his life. He got the job done through one body part, through the blinking of an eye. And I almost think, is this the way that Jesus feels about his church? He's trying to communicate who he is and what he's like. But it almost feels like because we're not taking our parts in the body of Christ that he's, he's getting the job done through one blink. But what would happen if we all took our spots, if we took our places and said, what is my part in this body? And he actually had a full body to communicate. Because the body, God's gonna get his job done. God's gonna do his job, but what if the church was synergized unified, understand that you have a part to play and you are needed? And what if we took that, res that responsibility and said, we are the hope of the world, we are the church. We are the beautiful mess that God has chosen to show himself through. C.S. Lewis says, says, says this here, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and bludgeringly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. And that's what I believe God has called us to do as the church. We are his hands, his feet, and he's called us to do honestly well, but at times seems slowly and bludgeringly what he could do in an instant. Jesus needs a body. I wanna close with this here, Will Willimon, he's, he's, he says this quote, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday. And I have been a part of some good ones. It says, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds community that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. And y'all, we have been given the opportunity as the church to come together unified, not uniformed. Jesus unites us, that we see our place, we see that we have a part to play. We're not spectators, we get in the game and we say, God, I wanna play my part in representing you to this city. What if we all came together as the church and synergized and said, God, use us. And I believe that what we wanna see God do in this city, it's gonna begin with us. We can pray for sinners, we can pray for, I pray that there is revival in here. That God revives our hearts, our vision, our perspective for what the church is and what the church can be and the part you can play. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then... 
feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.